Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning. It sure is great to see everyone here. If we have yet to meet, my name is Mark. I'm the pastor here, and it is a thrill and a pleasure for us to be able to gather here in this space in the midst of this holy season. We are in the season of Lent, which is a time of preparation so that we can get our hearts and our minds and our lives right for the glory of Easter. And we are talking specifically about how there are in the Scripture among many, seven specific ways that God uses the word never. And today, we are continuing that message series, looking at how passions never fail. God's compassions never fail. Now, this would be a good time, if you've not done so already, to pull out your Hope Church Plus app. You can find the follow-along notes. It's also in the info guide, and uh, I just posted a link on our um, Hope Church Facebook page, so you can hopefully find our follow-along notes uh, in several different places this morning, and maybe it will help you uh, to stay awake, pay attention, uh, or to digest the material, whichever is appropriate. But we are talking, again, about how God's compassions never fail. Now, I want to say a word really quickly about the video that we showed before uh, the message here about how uh, acts of kindness can help color the world. Uh, I am inspired by by uh, Matthew 5.16, which is in the traditional translations, talks about uh, how you are the light of the world, and Jesus commanded us to let our light so shine that we might help point people to God so they can see that God is real and that God is good. Now, in the message paraphrase of that passage, the way that Eugene Peterson, who was a Presbyterian pastor as well as a New Testament professor, uh, and I've mentioned the story before about why I like to use the message, but what what the basic tenet is, is that Peterson realized that from his seminary classes as well as to his church uh, gatherings, people weren't fully grasping the heart and the integrity of the message of the scripture. And so he did a paraphrase, uh, and it's quite avant-garde in some places, but it's good because it calls us out of some of those uh, just skipping by passages because of their familiarity. But anyway, when he paraphrased Matthew five sixteen in the message, he talked about how the good Things that we do, the acts of kindness, help to bring out the God colors in the world. I love that. The message version 516 in Matthew says that the acts of kindness that we do, the good things that we do, help to bring out the God colors in the world. And when we look around, um, not just a kind of a dreary, rainy, chilly Sunday morning, the Sunday after the time changes, and I know we've got some bleary eyes in here, uh, and um, probably a lot more people worshiping with us online than, than normal, uh, but as I look at the clock, it just says 9.07, so you're here good and early. Uh, we haven't set that clock back yet. But uh, the whole idea is, is that the good things that we do help to bring out the colors of the fabric of God's love for us. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about how acts of kindness and compassion are similar because we tend to think of them almost what to say as we really get cranking here now is that they are not the same thing. They're 
are some distinct differences that we're going to explore today. So let's get to the point of some definitions. The word compassion. It literally means to suffer together. The word compassion literally means to suffer together. And so you'll see the the second point on our slide is we're not just talking about acts of kindness. Because anybody could, should be able to perform acts of kindness. And when we saw the video, we saw all kinds of acts of kindness. Sharing our food, helping someone with their, their luggage, or helping someone with a crying child, things like that. All of us could and should be able to perform acts of kindness. But to take this to the level of compassion means that we have to understand that there is a very specific and definite meaning of that word, which comes back, as you said, on the first line, is to suffer together. Suffering in the New Testament, in so many ways, is synonymous with Christianity. I can't tell you how many times I mention this, I refer to this in our preaching and teaching ministry here at Hope Church. But we oftentimes want to think, feel, believe that our faith in Christ should act like a vaccination against suffering. And that's not the way that it works. In fact, God invites us into suffering so that we can see his presence, but even more importantly, see his preeminence in it. Isaiah, as he's prophesying about the Messiah to come, talked about the suffering servant and how God was eventually going to come not to be a ruler but to be a sufferer with us. God in Christ came to suffer with us. And so the things that we see Jesus do, from healing people, walking on water, feeding people, it isn't just random acts of kindness. I'm sure Jesus did lots of random acts of kindness. In fact, the Gospel of John says that the whole library, world full library, whatever, could not contain a record of the good things that Jesus did. But what we see as depicted in the scriptures through the Gospels primarily is that when Jesus is working wonders, when he is being the miracle worker, he is entering into people's suffering. Their illnesses, their infirmities, their hunger, their grief, their shame. Jesus enters into that in order to show us the way out of it. Which leads to the third point that you'll see there on the screen. When you look at the word compassion in the ancient biblical languages, you'll see that there are connections and roots that speak to rebirth and new birth. Now, friends, I hope that that inspires you and catches you like it did for me when I was doing some word studies on this word compassion. That there are connections in the ancient languages that speak to the power of rebirth and new birth. So as you see on the video, that an act of kindness could help inspire someone else to do an act of kindness. And there are all kinds of studies that indicate that random acts of kindness have a way of multiplying. That when someone does something nice for you, you do something nice for somebody else. And that continues. But to think about it from a point of view of compassion, to enter into someone's suffering so that we can suffer and struggle together, well, that's a whole different thing. And so when we look at it, again, in the ancient languages that speaks to connections of rebirth and new birth, what is it that Jesus came to do? Jesus came to enter into our suffering to show us the way out. And we find the way out. We recognize that he is giving us new birth. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And our new life in Christ 
calls us to seek out ways that we can feel compassion for other people. Not just sympathy. Like, oh, shucks, somebody ought to do something about that. But to get in it with them. To get in their skin, which is idea of empathy. And to help point people to Jesus as the one who wants to bring new birth and rebirth to lead them out. I hope that that excites you like it excited me. So what we're going to do really quickly is we're going to look at five keys to compassion. The first key is that we need to recognize suffering, right? You look around, and where is it that you see suffering? When you look at the world, where do you see suffering? Interactive message time. Where do you see suffering when you look at the world? Everywhere. Yeah, I think that was John, right? Everywhere. Where, where, I mean, I guess that kind of is a blanket statement. We do see it everywhere. We see it in poverty. We see it in uh, you know, hospitals. Oh, absolutely. Schools, too, for that matter, right? The homeless, yeah. Sometimes we see suffering in churches, funeral homes, cemeteries. Where else might you see some suffering? Classroom, yeah. Preach it, right, Matt? <laughs> Bad in this first semester of college. Yeah, there's suffering everywhere. We experience it. And so the first key to compassion is to recognize that suffering exists. And it's not just that it exists, but that it's universal. That's the second point. Suffering is universal. Everyone has to face and endure suffering. It is a consequence of our sin-fallen world. It is a consequence of us trying to do things our way, to go our own way, to see things happen according to our wants, our will, and our desires, whether they are or otherwise. Suffering is universal. Like I mentioned before, we want our faith in Christ to mean we're not going to have to face suffering. But what happens when we realize that it is part of life we do not have to suffer alone. And so that leads us to our third point, empathy for suffering. Empathy, again, means to get in someone else's skin, to see where someone is suffering. And instead of saying something to the effect of, well, somebody ought to do something about that, I am that somebody. I can do something about that. I can help someone who was hungry. I can help someone who was lonely. I can help someone who was grieving. I can help someone who needs help with their groceries or their luggage, help someone. In order to do this, it brings to our fourth point. We've got to be able to tolerate discomfort. Allow that to sink in for a moment. We don't like discomfort, do we? We don't like it in our own lives, and we don't like it when we see someone else suffering. One of the things that happens when we encounter suffering in someone else is we want to try to help make sense of it. And so what do we tend to do? We tend to get cliche-ish. Ooh, that's not helpful. We have to be able to tolerate discomfort and to say to someone, I don't understand why you are suffering so badly, but let me suffer with you. As opposed to doing something straps. I didn't intend to sound kind of like Woody from Toy Story. There's a snake in my boots. Anyway, uh, we've got to be able to tolerate discomfort. But some of those other things, so frequently we hear them in times of grief. Right? God needed another angel in heaven. God never puts more on us than we can handle, which is bad theology. I preached on that about a month ago, right? All these things. We don't have to be able to fix someone's problems. 
but to be able to say, in the name of Christ, I am here to suffer with you, to not leave you alone, maybe to share a cup of coffee or sandwich or time. Those are ways that we see Christ lived out and exhibited his call to love and ministry. It was to spend time with people, to break bread, literally and figuratively, and to allow the love of God to surge through him. And so once we can get past that fact that we are going to feel uncomfortable when we engage people who are suffering, we need to find the motivation to act. We need to find the motivation to act. One of the most convicting Bible passages, I referenced it a good bit. I wrote a devotion on it that will come out later in the month. It's from the book of James, Jesus' half-brother, where James said, It is a sin to know the right thing to do and not do it. We need to be motivated to act. To not just say, somebody ought to do something about that, but to say, I am that somebody. There's something I can do to help get inside someone's skin, to tolerate their discomfort. Even though suffering is universal, I can help use the suffering that I've experienced kind of figuratively and literally, yeah, literally and figuratively speaking, to help someone realize that there is hope and that Christ wants to come and to bring care and compassion. So that's the key point. It is God who is compassion. It's not just a precept. It's actually God's personality, God's persona. We talk about getting in someone's skin. That is precisely what God did when he came to us in the form of Jesus. So they could enter into our suffering and to know what it's like to feel a stomach rumble. To know what it's like to not have a purple mattress or a my pillow or something to lay your head down on at night, right? But dirt and rock for someone who knows what it is to feel the pain of betrayal and the physical pain of like nails and thorns piercing skin. Compassion comes from God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This passage tells us that God came to us in the form of Jesus. He put on our flesh, engaged our suffering, and comes alongside us to help us to know that we are not alone. But that's not the end of the story. He wants to deploy us into areas where we see and sense suffering so that we can help put on Jesus for someone else. He wants us to enter into those areas where we may find discomfort, where we can experience empathy for suffering and say, I can do something about that. It might seem minor or meager at the time, but if you've ever gone through a time of intense and searing suffering, even something like a chicken pot pie can bring the grace of God in a way that nothing else possibly can. I'm not necessarily speaking specifically about chicken pot pies, although I do love them, but to say something as simple as some food, some company, some time can help alleviate someone's suffering. So the way that this picture comes to us 
is that compassion comes from God. God comes to us in the form of Jesus, comes alongside us in our suffering, and then deploys us to come alongside someone else so that we are like the cream in our Oreo sandwich where we experience the goodness of God coming and holding us all together. Compassion comes from God. Therefore, God wants you to be a compassion conduit, to receive it so you can give it, to experience it so you can express it. This is how God wants compassion to be lived out and experienced in our lives. But we've got to remember it comes from Him. Right? It comes from God. Lest we think that we are the ones who brings goodness to anybody or anything, we've got to remember that compassion comes from God. Otherwise, we are guilty of what I like to refer to as Tom Dumb theology, where we stick in our thumb and pull out a plum and say, My, but a good boy or girl's mine. Right? We think it's about us. That's one of those things that acts of kindness can do for us as we. We kind of get a, a, a high, so to speak, doing good things, and then we tend to make it about ourselves as opposed to the compassion that Christ wants us to do for others, which means we've got to get in their skin, get into their suffering. So if compassion comes from God, and we still see all kinds of suffering around us, we might be inclined to think that there is a limit to God's compassion. Have you ever wondered about that? Ever thought about that? No? Well, good. So you're ahead of me already. But still, what you'll see in the next point is that God's compassions never fails. God's compassion never fails. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 20 through 23. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. I love that. Anyone know the old hymn that goes with that? Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All that I need, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Great is thy faithfulness. This comes from that verse here in Lamentations chapter 3. It talks about how God's compassion comes to us so that we can have hope. Do you remember what hope means? Hope means that we are holding on to what we believe is truth in the person in the form of Jesus Christ, that God's way wins in the end. Even though we may see suffering right now, even though we may experience brokenness and we feel our world and our lives just in tatters, we hold on in hope that God's way wins in the end. For the Jesus follower, this is absolutely critical because we look around and we're going to be inundated with people asking questions. How could a good and loving and compassionate God allow bad things to happen? Oh, remember, compassion isn't just about acts of kindness. It's about getting into our suffering. And so there is a implication here that suffering is critical for us to need as well as to receive the compassion of God. Wow. This is the hope that we have. 
that there is a reason for our suffering, that there is a point to it, that it all comes down to the redemptive power of Jesus. And in the meantime, we are tasked with the responsibility of helping to others see that God is real. He loves us and has a plan and a purpose for our lives, yes, even in the suffering, even in those times when it is bleak, when it is hard, when we feel broken, because God's coming alongside us to inspire us, to invigorate us, and then deploying us to go alongside someone else so that we can help them see the same. There's something else I hope that you understand here about this idea of God's compassion never failing, and that is that God uses compassion to help protect us. God uses compassion to help protect us. Think again to how Lamentations 3.20 begins. I well remember them in my soul being downcast within me. And then it goes on, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. God's compassion protects you. When you feel or fear that the calamities in our world are going to overwhelm you or overcome you or consume you, as Lamentations puts it. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, was Jeremiah wrote it. God's compassion helps to protect you so that you can hold on and hope and you can continue to experience the Lord Jesus Christ coming into your life and into your suffering and then deploying you to go alongside someone else. To help them realize that there is still hope. And so if the fifth key to compassion was being motivated to act, this brings us to our final main point, which is we must act with compassion. We must recognize those keys that I've talked about before, that suffering exists, it's universal, we've got to have empathy for it, we've got to be able to tolerate the discomfort so that we can motiv be motivated to act with compassion. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. So our compassion then, helps to fuel our witness. Our compassion helps to fuel our witness. Compassion coming from God in the form of Jesus to comfort us in our suffering and then to deploy us, to motivate us, to act, to help someone else in the midst of their suffering. We don't like to think about this, though. But if you have endured that searing suffering, then you are in a unique position to help someone else who might just be entering into that road to know that there is hope on the other side of the obliteration of our souls. Who better to help someone who is an addict to someone or to something than someone who has bend an addict and realize that those chains can be broken. Who better to help someone survive the searing suffering of the loss of a parent or a spouse or a child than someone who has lost a parent, a spouse, or a child? Who better than someone who has felt as though the world has abandoned and betrayed them than someone else who has experienced the searing suffering of abandonment and betrayal. 
there is something in your life. Bank on it. There's something in your life where God wants to use you in the midst of your suffering to deploy you to put on the compassion of Christ for someone else. You have a role and a purpose to play in the economy of God, so to speak, to help put on compassion and empathy for someone who is suffering. So if you're struggling to try to figure that out, if you were just to close your mind, um, well, don't close your mind, close your eyes, <laughs> and think, where have you felt the most broken? For some who are on the younger side of things, maybe it's when you had lost your first love or the first failing grade on a test or maybe your first broken bone or maybe your dad shaving your head because you wouldn't quit flipping your head, hair like Justin Bieber or look like you had a tick. I don't, I don't know, just speaking from first, personal experience. Where is it that you feel and experience that suffering? You can say, you know what? I survived that. And I have a unique perspective, a unique insight into what it means to help someone in the midst of their own suffering. And so, a simple three-point step to help you figure out ways you can be deployed to act with compassion. The first is mindfulness. Be aware of the present moment, and then, of course, act. You see someone who is suffering or struggling with something, and you have an ability to step in and do something about it? Be mindful of the situation, the people around you, and then do something to help. Be aware. Be alert. Be activated to work in faith. Now, the second thing may seem a little odd, but... You need to have some self-kindness yourself. When I was studying and researching this, these steps to compassion are you know, probably something that a psychologist wrote, and you know, it's been going on for you know, years and years and years. And I had to look into this idea of self-kindness because we don't want to link, at least exclusively, compassion and acts of kindness. But one of the things that's unique about this idea of having self-kindness speaks into those areas where you've experienced suffering and perhaps it was self-inflicted, right? And as a result, you may feel shame for those things. As a result, you may feel as though you are condemned. You don't have any value or worth to be able to speak into a situation or a circumstance where someone else is suffering, the idea of Scripture is that in Christ, there's no condemnation. You are a new creation when you are in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. Therefore, Jesus wants to use your experiences, even the worst self-inflicted ones, to help someone experience the help and the wholeness that comes from living life with Christ. You've got to get over the shame and the guilt to be able to say, I survived that. Even though I was the culprit, right? Let me help you understand how I survived it. Not that it's a prescription or a formula, but that maybe there's a way 
I can provide a little hope or design for you to know that you can accomplish it as well. But the last point comes down to the idea of common humanity. We're all in this together. Suffering is universal. We may feel as though we're the only ones who has to deal with the garbage and the junk of our lives. And to some extent that is true. But there is a common humanity, a thread that is being woven through our existence, both individually and together as the family of God known as the church. There's a common humanity that speaks to our need for compassion. And it comes back to the fact that God put on compassion himself in the form of Jesus, the father of compassion, both as a person and as a precept. Jesus became that suffering servant so that we may know there is hope beyond the hell that we face. That is the role that Jesus came and put on for you and for me and is asking for you and me to do it as well in our common humanity because God put on the limitations of flesh. God put on the human form to show us that he has entered into our suffering and to show us the way out. So our closing questions for this message about how God's compassions never fail. How have you found compassion giving you new life? When you can find the perspective that seems to elude you because of the suffering that you're going through, you can find a new lease on life that now when your story syncs up with God's story, it becomes God's story. It's got to be proclaimed, right? So it gives us a whole new lease on life so that we can go find people who are suffering in ways that we are familiar with and we can help them out of it. Also, we see that since God's compassions protect us, how has God's compassion protected you? Maybe it has kept you from going back to a certain sinful point of suffering. Maybe God's compassion has inspired you to stay away from certain places or certain websites or certain people so that you yourself did not succumb to the self-inflicted suffering of sin. And then when did compassion direct you to serve others? When you felt God deploying you and your life to help come alongside someone else because you've experienced God coming alongside you. And we got to do it. It's not always easy. We can even look for excuses. I feel a little hypocritical. That was one of our points last week. Because on Friday, Tiffany and I went to the grocery store. And uh, we had first gone to Mount Tabor Park with Millie. It was her first experience of hiking with the family, which was uh, a very unique experience. It, it basically went well, but that's not the point of it. So we stopped by the grocery store to pick up some items for dinner. And uh, because we had the dog in the car, Tiffany said, why don't you just stay in here with Millie? That way uh, we're not leaving her in the car because, you know, when we 
came back, there probably would not be a steering wheel or at least three of the four seats, things like that. So you just stay in the, stay in the car with Millie, and, and I'll be right back in a few minutes. And, of course, a few minutes was about an hour. But in that time while we were, that's not the point of the message, but while we were in there, I noticed that right next to me, there was uh, one of our seasoned citizens in the community that was walking very slowly and deliberately toward their vehicle and had a walker inside the main part of the buggy and had to even pause to take a breath by the time this individual got to their vehicle parked right next to us. And I sat there and I felt sorry for that individual. And I watched this person struggle to pull the walker out of the, the main part of the buggy and have to take a break. And then a few minutes later, put a bag in the trunk, take a break, and put another bag in the trunk, and take a break. By that point, I was like, somebody should do something. But I've got my dog in the car. You know what I did? I looked away. I didn't want to be inconvenienced. I was sweaty from a walk. Hadn't shaven in a couple days. And I just looked away. I caught the attention of the family that was parked on the other side of us. That was completely enthralled with our puppy. And I put all my attention there on allowing the little child to come and pet Millie through the window. And I was glad I did because I didn't have to pay attention to the person on my right. Who was struggling. To extend the idea of hypocrisy even farther, when that person left, they did not put the grocery cart back in a buggy return. And I was like, Pfft. I didn't do anything. And it's haunting me still today. I say that not to put myself down. But to speak into the reality that there are times, all too often, when we don't want to be bothered with it. When we are distracted, we have other things going on, even good things. But compassion is so important to God that in the form of his son and our Savior Jesus, he put on this perishable robe that we know as flesh and came and entered into our sad and sinfully suffering existence. Not just to wallow in it, but to show that there is a way out of it. I can guarantee you next time I go to the store, I'm going to be looking for someone that I can help. And I may need to do it two or three times to assuage myself from the guilt that I experienced. But I say that as a way to recognize that there are times when we just don't want to be bothered. I thank God that's not how he felt when he sent Jesus to us. And I pray that as we move forward from this place today, that that's not the same attitude and intent that we take out into the world around us. Because when we do the little things, the good things, it helps to bring God's colors to the world. And through our good deeds, as simple as they may seem for us, it helps to show people that God is real. And that God is good. And that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And so may we get uncomfortable to tolerate the discomfort 
that comes in knowing someone is suffering and do what we can to put on the flesh of Jesus, the wardrobe of Jesus, so that people may know that God is real and he loves them and has a plan and a purpose for our lives. So for all of our shortcomings, dear Lord, forgive us. For all of our uncertainties, dear Lord, steal us. And for all of our abilities to help, dear Lord, deploy us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.